0: One time years ago, a man was visiting a friend who owned a large ranch in Alta, Utah. The guest was fascinated by butterflies and was really looking forward to the opportunity to stroll about the hills and valleys, hoping to add to his fairly extensive collection uh, one evening he returned at dusk and very proudly showed the new specimens that he was able to catch that day. And and then he remembered, oh yes, uh, earlier in the afternoon I had heard some uh, moaning uh, coming from down near the river. Well, it... The the rancher said, well, it sounds like somebody uh, was in need of help. Did you check it out? And the visitor said, well, no. I was chasing a particular butterfly at that moment and couldn't stop. And then it slipped my mind until just now. We're thinking, Really? But yes, really, that happened. More to the point, that happens. Maybe not where a physical life is in danger, but there are spiritual dangers all around us and we're all experiencing them, but that includes the people near you. People struggle to uh, to deal with the challenges that are all around, all by themselves, but our self-centered focus on our own interests prompts us to ignore the needs of those that are around us. I'm just too busy. These things are too important. And yes, I might acknowledge that there are places where I could help and maybe even need to help but I just don't see how I can fit that in even worse we can neglect our uh, responsibility toward others all the while going through the motions of someone who is living for the Lord In fact, it wouldn't be unusual to go through the motions of observing the Lord's table together while still harboring this self-centered focus. That's really what prompted Paul to write our passage today because he had heard reports in a particular church that that was exactly what was going on. They were bringing their selfishness into the Lord's Supper and then carrying it back out with them as well. And Paul's assessment of that earlier in chapter 11 is that's not the Lord's Supper at all. That's something quite different. That goes uh, counter to what the Lord's Supper is supposed to communicate. And so that brings Paul in our passage today to tell us what exactly the Lord's Supper is all about. He can do so very concisely. There's just these four verses for us. These are important verses that we have to understand and Furthermore, have to put into practice. The Lord's Supper is all about Christ giving himself for you. In order for you to have that open invitation that the ensemble sang about, he had to first dive in your place. He gave himself for you is what the Lord's Supper says. But it says one more thing. It says, I accept the responsibility to be in the same way concerned about the needs of others as he was for my needs. He demonstrated his concern. I accept that I must have that same kind of concern for others. In that way, he intends the Lord's Supper to be a corrective for us. It is not a sacred event that we must guard until such time as we are qualified and ready and doing everything God expects. This is actually for people who have some needs, who have some areas where they've got to get some things right. Now, we do so before we partake in the Lord's table. But the whole event is designed to correct this self-centered focus on self. So we'll start in verse 23, where Paul tells us that it was Christ himself who ordained the very process of the Lord's Supper. Uh, he did so during his last Passover observance, uh, so it's, it's mixed in between that and the original circumstance, but the original instruction came from him. Paul underscores that as being significant for us. His full authority is behind what the Lord's Supper is all about. So he says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. This is not the first time the Corinthians had heard this. It's not the first time we've read this passage together. He'd already delivered it. Even we have already received it. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. Now, that's not how we would have introduced the Lord's Supper, is it? We would think that, that it occurred on the night when he was betrayed it was more of a minor detail that if you're going to say everything in just four verses, Paul, that seems like something you could leave out. Not so. That's an essential part of this overall equation, part of what we have to understand. It was on the very night that he was being betrayed and he knew it was going on. Furthermore, that's not just a reference to Judas, but all of the other disciples as well, that same night were going to betray him in a different way by running for their lives when Christ was being arrested. Well, that's how they're going to respond. That's how we would think. Then let's just forget about this giving myself for them. No, that's the very kind of people that he decided to die for. I think that's why he brings that up here in verse 23. It was on the very night in which he was betrayed. Verse 23 tells us then that... Christ is the focus of the Lord's Supper. He's the originator of it. He's the host at the table. This all represents his provision, nothing that we have provided for ourselves. He's the provider. We are the recipients, the beneficiaries, who are submissive, who are eager to follow his instructions. We are eager to do it right. But this also tells us that the original situation that prompted the Lord's Supper in the first place underscores our need as people who have a long way to go to achieve Christlikeness. We are still very self centered. Individuals. The the problem then is our focus on self that comes to us so naturally. The answer is to shift that focus on Christ. To see his attitude toward the needs of others around him, even unworthy people. And the Lord's Supper, then, is to be a visual demonstration of his selflessness, which is then our pattern that we are to follow. Back in 2001, I was invited to teach a block class at a seminary in Poland. Poland. That school had 45 students, from, some from Poland, other uh, Eastern European countries, and uh, I was so excited for that opportunity. Uh, I found the students very eager. There was a well-qualified faculty. Uh, two missionaries uh, served on the faculty. Another one also taught classes, but his role was to be the director of the seminary, and this, this school just seemed to be thriving. They were working very closely with a local church in Warsaw and with that pastor. And this just seemed to me to be practically the ideal missionary circumstance uh, where everything is working as it should. But I'd only been there a couple of days when I found out that all was not as it should be. There was an undercurrent of friction that had developed between the American missionaries and the Polish pastor. He was a seasoned veteran, had been faithful to the Lord for years, but there was an aspect of the Polish uh, uh, tradition that they had incorporated into their church services that the American missionaries didn't think was the best way to do it. And, I heard what the dispute was and I offered my opinion. I said, I don't think that's very important. I don't think that should be uh, putting this whole ministry at risk. I mean, the the prospect of dozens of of, uh, students graduating and then fanning out across Poland and Eastern Europe with the gospel that's what's at stake here. It's the gospel that's at stake. And I argued this particular point of preference, come on. Uh, I was er- encouraging the American missionaries. There, there's, there's some give here. And the pastor was willing to, to, to uh, understand them and to reach a, uh, something that'd be appropriate for all. But no, they were adamant. This is where it, the way it has to be. I went back to that same school several more times over the following few years. And I saw gradually the American missionaries leave. I saw students losing interest, smaller and smaller each year, until they eventually had to close the school. No wave of preachers going across Eastern Europe the gospel was affected because people were so focused on their own special interests. Same issue affects churches all across America as well and threatens our church as well. We are not immune to this. We're not facing any issue that I'm aware of right now. We have had some in the past. And by God's grace, have found resolution. But we are always in danger because Satan is well aware of how effective this tactic can be. So what's the answer to that? Even before we get into the rest of the passage, it is to confess to the Lord, I am self-centered. I do care about myself more than anybody else. And yes, I can get so focused on myself as to miss and neglect the needs of people around me. You can ask the Lord to use the Lord's Supper today to change you. It was just a brief ceremony what is this uh, what is this solemnity that we are uh, about to participate in what is this all about well we turn to Christ again who described the meaning of the lord's supper and it's very simple verse 24 tells us that the bread represents the body that he gave when he had given thanks he broke it and said This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's consider each part of that. First of all, that he gave thanks. What's he thanking the Lord for here? Is he thanking the Lord for the opportunity to die for needy people? Seems like that's at least got to be a big part of this. We would be more uh, prone to thank the Lord when we don't have to uh, help somebody else. But to realize here's a need, God, thank you that you have equipped me and give, you're giving me this opportunity to help somebody else. Thank you for that, Lord. Or Christ is thanking God There's a pattern here for us. We also are going to pause and thank God. What will we be thanking God for? We'll be expressing our gratitude to the Father. The gospel is his plan. Jesus is his son. He sent his son to die in our place. We'll thank God. The Lord, that Christ is our substitute, that he is for us. He died in our place. That's the significance of the phrase, this is my body which is for you. I give this in your behalf. I am your substitute. I will endure all, and and from our standpoint, he has endured all. All the punishment that I deserve. Thank you. Thank you for that plan. At the same time, Christ says that we are to do this in remembrance of him. Now, we are in very great danger of forgetting Christ. Clearly, he has more in mind than that, and what he has in mind corresponds to a vast number of instances throughout Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament of this word, remember. Remember doesn't imply necessarily to bring to mind something you have forgotten, but to bring something to mind with the intention of acting on it. The corresponding change of behavior, in this case, a change of life, is what Christ has in mind. Do this in remembrance of me. Make your decision to conform to what the bread, as you eat that bread, what it signifies. Eating is like saying I Accept the obligation that comes with this benefit. So in that way, express your devotion to the Savior and to serve him. Verse 25, very similar with the cup. The cup represents the blood that he shed. It is significant that those are distinct. A body that endured pain and then blood that he shed. Verse 25, he says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, the reference to supper there is to the Passover meal. So apparently there was the first part of the Lord's Supper, then the Passover meal, and then the cup toward the end of that ceremony. Here's what Christ said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, the idea of blood in a cup is particularly disturbing for us. And, of course, there was never any blood in the cup. And and there's no blood in the cups that we have. This is representative, but it is representative of real blood that Christ shed, which at that moment was still secure in his veins. When he said, this is my body, he means, the the word is there means much the same as it does in other contexts where Christ said things like, I am the door. Well, he's not a door, but he is similar to a door. This is not his body, but it is similar enough to remind us of, who, of what his body uh, consists of and of the reality of the blood that he really did shed for us. A couple of the verses in the Old Testament shed some light on this. Why blood? Why isn't it enough just that he died? Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you, I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. That's the blood of the animal sacrifices. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. It's one thing for Christ to have been willing to endure suffering on our behalf. He did more than that. The blood represents the life that he gave and Jeremiah 31 the key passage on the new covenant that Christ refers to he says behold days are coming in Jeremiah just read excerpts from this passage the days are coming declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant Christ is on this occasion declaring it's about to begin what is that new covenant God says I will be their God, and they shall be my people. There's the covenant in essence. That I will be their God is God saying, I am willing to take on responsibility for them. Obligations, I am committing myself on their behalf. But that they shall be my people tells us that there are corresponding obligations in reverse that we take on when we accept the benefits of him being our God. The new covenant then, this passage concludes by saying, this key element of the covenant is, for I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sin no more. Our very forgiveness of sin is at the heart of the new covenant. remembrance then is a call to focus your attention and then adjust your behavior and the point in in this context in first corinthians 11 is that the behavior of a self-centered focus is incompatible with the gospel itself so why does Christ want you to think about him in this particular way? Verse 26, Christ revealed the purpose of the Lord's Supper. Paul expresses verse 26 in his own words, but there's, uh, there's no question. This also uh, is a, an original part of the Lord's Supper pattern. First part of verse verse 26 says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Your participation today announces his death, declares this, makes a proclamation, Christ has died for my sin. It's a proclamation that says, I believe that. I have accepted that. The Lord's Supper is not the moment of acceptance. It's remembering. I accepted those benefits. When you eat the bread and drink the cup, when you consume the elements, you are declaring that his sacrifice has saved your soul and that you accept those responsibilities. He concludes verse 26, though, by saying you proclaim the Lord's death until he come. There's a termination point for the Lord's table and it is the return of Jesus Christ. At the same time, we observe this custom we are expecting his kingdom. Now his kingdom is going to be marvelous. His kingdom will come with blessings for his people. But Paul goes on in the rest of chapter 11 to point out that his coming also includes judgment. Don't be caught in and being liable for his judgment when he comes. How do you avoid that? By making the changes now that would bring him pleasure. The next day, the rancher in Utah went out early in the morning seeing he could find out what was causing this moaning. What he found was one of his neighbors, an elderly man, a man who apparently had fallen and was unable to get himself back up and make his way back to his home. He had died during the night. Terrible reminder that neglect of others can, in fact, have serious consequences. Christ designed the Lord's Supper to recenter the focus of his people. Day after day in everyday life, our focus gets off onto other things. The recurrence of the Lord's Supper is let's all together refocus. Oh, yes, here's what got us started. It's Christ himself, his death for me, and oh, yes i committed myself to the obligations that come with this with these benefits and i renew those i renew that commitment today that's what eating and drinking would commemorate and say to the lord and say to each other and ultimately say to the world. I'd urge you now as we close and transition to the Lord's Supper itself, that you ask the Lord to use the Lord's Supper today to open your heart to ministry. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we ask that as your spirit works in our hearts, as we examine our hearts, that you would help us, Father, to be open and honest about the needs that are there, the sin that is there, the selfishness that is there. Father, we pray for your forgiveness. We ask, Father, for those that don't Uh, that are not yet beneficiaries of what Christ has done because they've never trusted him as Savior. Father, we pray that today might be the day of their salvation, that you would work, that you would use your word, that your spirit would convict, and that he would grant the gift of faith. Bless, Father, as we continue, then, to follow the pattern that Christ set for us, We pray that we might grow in grace through this process as you intend, for Jesus' sake, amen.